Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining me today on the Final Draft Podcast. My name is Andrew Popel and today I am featuring an incredible anthology, Povo, from Sweatshop Western Sydney Literary Movement. Now, before we get started though, I want to let you know, Final Draft, we... We love to explore books, writing and literary culture. Broadcasting from 2SER in Sydney, Final Draft, we are dedicated to Australian writing. From debut authors to the the authors that you know and love, that you grew up with. Each of these conversations is a way to look at the issues that drive the author's storytelling. A way to discover more from the books that you love. 2SER broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people. And I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and the Gunungurra people. These are the traditional owners of the lands that we collectively call Sydney. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands, pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands, and acknowledge that they are unceded lands and the treaty has never been made with Australia's First Nations. Now, today I have a terrific anthology from Sweatshop Western Sydney Literary Movement. Sweatshop are a, a group of writers, they are a literary movement, they publish collections, anthologies dedicated to raising up the voices of the myriad of people who who call Western Sydney home, raising up the voices of people from marginalised and um, non-dominant culture communities. Today, we are featuring their new anthology. It is called Povo, and it explores both the impact and the voices of people from lower socioeconomic and non-dominant socioeconomic uh, communities. A a way to look at these ideas around value and worth that are encoded in that word, Povo. I am going to be joined by an incredible panel. I cannot wait to introduce them to you. This is going to be a very special show. It's always special when Sweatshop have a new publication out. So join me as we discover Povo, a new anthology from the Sweatshop Western Sydney Literary Movement. Today is a special day because I there, there are so many great things that happen on this radio show and one of them is the relationship that I've developed with Sweatshop and the writers through Sweatshop and when they have a new publication out it is always a special moment. So today on the show we are going to be featuring a panel discussion with Sweatshop Literacy Movement writers about the new anthology Povo. If, you, if you're not aware, look, if you're a new to Final Draft and you haven't discovered sweatshop it is a literacy movement based in western sydney it's devoted to empowering culturally and linguistically diverse communities through reading writing and critical thinking so without any further ado i am going to welcome adam navaldi anderson adam is a mixed race australian indonesian writer and activist adam's short stories and essays have appeared in various anthologies and publications he is the editor of povo the anthology that we are going to be talking about today Natalia Figueroa Barroso. Natalia is a Uruguayan-Australian writer from Penrith. Her poem Anew was shortlisted for the 2015 Lane Cove Literary Award. Her screenplay Roots was selected for the 2018 Breakthrough Emerging Screenwriter Development. Uh, I also believe Natalia has got... um, She's working on a debut novel that's coming out in 2025, so we'll we'll invite her back in a year or so. And also (laughs) Katie Shamas. Katie is a Palestinian-Australian writer. She has been published in Red Room Poetry and Kindling and Sage magazine... Their works and writing also feature in Povo. Welcome each and every one of you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Andrew. I'm really excited for this conversation. Um, as I said, it's always a special uh, special moment to have a new anthology from Sweatshop. Adam, you're the editor. You've, you've brought all this together. Can I ask you, please, to introduce us to Povo? 
Of course. Um, thanks for having us. And this is a special anthology, so I'm really excited to have people read it and getting it out there. Um, to explain Povo, we really need to explain what, what Sweatshop what Sweatshop does as a whole. Um, as you said, we're a writer's collective based in Western Sydney that's devoted to empowering First Nations and culturally linguistically diverse communities through reading, writing and critical thinking. Um, but also a key idea to understand is that we're based on the ideas of African-American feminist writer and scholar Bell Hooks, who says that we cannot begin to talk about freedom and justice in any culture unless we're talking about mass-based literacy movements, because degrees of literacy determine so often determine how we see what we see. Um, this idea of degrees of literacy and critical thinking is immensely important to me um, as an Indonesian Australian who grew up in a country town, um, navigating my identity and my community, and also understanding how violence and marginalization, how violence and marginalization occurs in all these different, in all our different communities in our society. Um, really literacy, literacy is key to understanding how, how to do all those things and how these things happen. Um, I joined Sweatshop in seven years ago, and I was immediately introduced to texts like Edward Said's Orientalism, or more recently, Gassan Hajj's Racial Politics of Australian Multiculturalism, um, which is a collected works of all of Gassan Hajj's um, fantastic anthropological and sociological writings. And really, Sweatshop, um, Povo is an anthology of marginalised writers putting their critical literacy to work by taking control of their own stories in their own voices. Povo, like as a as a text, as a as a physical book, is incredibly striking, and also just the word Povo, like follow following in that I guess that great Australian tradition of taking the first syllable of a word or a name, then adding either either O or Y. Povo is a vernacular contraction of poverty. It's this word that's often thrown around as a barb or an insult from those who want to feel superior, and it's too often wielded by the dominant group against anyone who's marginalised. I'm really curious how that word or um, I guess the concept, povo, came into each of your works. How did you translate it? How did you see it emerging through the collection? In 2021, Sweatshop released an anthology called Racism, which focused on obviously the intersections of race in our communities. And Povo is a continuation of this this sort of pattern. This time we're aimed at empowering communities of low socioeconomic status. Um, we do this by having 37 writers of immensely different backgrounds, but also class intersections. You know, I'd challenge anyone to connect two writers together as in terms of their cultural background from you know how how much money they grew up with um, we also have collections fences which is um a collaboration with the asylum seeker center which empowers new migrants through stories and language probably the most uh important and confronting section of the anthology is the stories we produce with macquarie fields and lumia high schools um which is you know this this really raw and direct expression of how class different manifest how sorry how class difference manifests itself in our schools. Um, it's really in the style and in the words itself that this class difference um, it's it's really in your face and it's often very violent. It's it's a very special um, production that we did together. Um, as for me with um, my piece, uh, what Povo meant to me. Um, 
I decided to uh, write a complex and nuanced uh, poetry collection that presents a Latinx family going through divorce, which generally speaking leads to financial hardship. Um, and so the story navigates through this lens um, of the child within the family. Um, and I chose to tell this story of machismo and marianismo and toxic masculinity um, within our community because for far too long our identities have been created through this white racist lens like that of Donald Trump who described us uh, to be, and I quote, they're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists. Um, and as Maya Angelou stated, um, never let another man create your world. You will always make it too small. Um, and so I wanted to drive through these issues um, of poverty um, and machismo um, within our community, um, which is not only, which are not only found within the Latinx community, but in fact found in every single community. Um, and so I did this just to humanize us um, because, yes, uh, divorce can be violent, it can be, um, but it can also be a time of fear of loss, fear of change, fear of the unknown, fear of gossip within the community. But most importantly, it's an immense time. It's an time of immense heartbreak. Um, and I just wanted the reader to see all the layers within our communities um, when going through divorce and poverty um, because we deserve to be seen more more than just narcos and criminals and rapists. And every single piece in Popo humanises our community through honest and critical stories. I guess my experience was a little bit different. So Adam, as the editor, saw in the story that it could fit the collection of Povo. And I remember feeling when Adam said that at the time that, oh, my story, which is called The Song That Fills the Valley, I, I never felt, I never came to it with from a sense of poverty, that my family's life was impoverished. Yes, I'm... Um, the daughter of Palestinian migrants and they worked extremely hard and we were working class but there was this absolute richness in our life you know that's presented in the story of my family and how we make um, gak um, and how we connect to culture through the making of gak through the listening of music through storytelling Um, and while you know, we were we struggled economically. Our life was rich, and I think you know that's reflected in other stories in the Popo collection as well. It was extraordinary to listen uh, to your two responses, then Natalia and Katie. Um, and what one thing that I heard there is very much the way that this word um, Povo is so often ascribed as an identity. Again, this is ha- something that is going to be happening from someone who w- either, I guess, wants to feel superior ag- against someone, and it's an identity. I'm going to throw this at you, and I'm going to tell you that this this somehow encapsulates who you are. And, Natalia, you made the point there that so often poverty as is, is situational. Poverty is a, a, a maybe a response to a circumstance, and it is not seen as a state that is... I, I guess something that is deserving of support because once we ascribe an identity, we have this sense that this, it is who the person is and not a situation that they find themselves in. And that idea is extraordinarily rich in the collection. Um, I wonder if I could ask you, uh, you know, if if you have a piece other than your own, of course you love your own piece, and I, 
really, I really need to compliment each of you because I had such an extraordinary time discovering each of these pieces. But is there another piece that you would you would draw out that really, um, you know, kind of brought you to life reading the collection? Can I? I, I always. Enjoy- oh, sorry. Oh. Yes. <laughs> I was just going to say that I always enjoyed uh, Daniel Noor's um, work in every anthology um, because uh, I I just enjoy the complexity of his comedy because it's very political, but it it just makes us laugh. Um, uh, So, yeah, so for me, uh, um, how to buy, is it how to buy a car? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's my favourite, one of my favourite pieces because uh, he's able to um, show how uh, poverty is... is, um, also being wise uh, at negotiating. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. And it's, it's that it's street smarts and how, how, how to get your, you know, the best deal. And a little triggering if you've bought a car anytime recently thinking, Oh my goodness, I think I got <laughs> ripped off. I didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Katie, you had a piece. Yeah. My piece is the first piece in the collection by forever to Poe. Yeah. Um, I remember when Forever read the first draft of that story in the sweatshop workshops and I cried um, and I think that's the version that is in the book is almost the same version that she read to us. I think, you know, Forever's writing is so raw and her storytelling is so powerful. Um, that's definitely a standout for me. And then I guess the other thing I'd say is that it's um, the other Palestinian writers in the collection. So Fahad Ali's features in it, in a section edited by Sarah Saleh. Um, And I think, you know, in this time that we're in with the ongoing genocide in Gaza, it's a real honour to be in Povo with other Palestinian writers. And extraordinary to hear, hear those stories, like... Amongst amongst so much talk to, to actually be able to to actually stop and hear the stories and, and read them like that. Adam, are you allowed to are you allowed to choose a standout as the editor? Um, well, it has to be mine and Natalia's Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say it's my favorite, but I can say it is a standout piece. Um, I personally love Phoebe Grainer's contradict um, I personally love Phoebe Grainer's contribution called Some of the Sun. Um, we've been working with Phoebe for a long time. Phoebe is a Kukujangan Muluruji, Wakaman, Tangalaka, Punjin, Wagamai, and Yininji woman from far north Queensland. Um, and I can personally really relate to her story because as a person who grew up in Tamworth and Gomorrah land, I moved to Western Sydney for uni and um, sort of left a town that didn't have a lot of economic opportunities or educational opportunities. So even though I left out of necessity, um, I still feel guilty that I did leave my community and um, this tie was severed because I really think um, people should do their best to enhance the communities that brought them up. Um, So reading about this city country divide and how it drives, um, in Phoebe's case, First Nations people away from the country that, 
that they're connected to and the, their family members and their their local community um, out of necessity to have these opportunities in Australia that we supposedly um, ha- have a very privilege to have. Um, um, this has been a very powerful story to work with Phoebe and to produce this one. Um, and on that note, um, this anthology is bookended by two First Nations writers because it was created on land that always was and always will be. I actually, I would love to pick up on that point because I think it ties in a couple of ideas that we were just talking about there. Um, This idea, Adam, and you bring this up in your introduction of how economic forces drive migration. Um, And thank you. I I very much, when I was reading your introduction, had uh, my thoughts on, I I guess, the global situation and the way global migration is fueled by economics, uh, which in turn fuel wars. But you've pointed out there also the the very local situation, movement from regional to uh, metropolitan areas, and that that kind of reverse situation that's been happening for, I guess, the last five years where people who can afford to work remotely are able to move into regional areas and suddenly locals are being priced out. It's incredibly fraught. It is not simple, but I was hoping if anyone would like to reflect on that, that process of movement, that process of, I guess, maybe feeling that you have to move for economic circumstances, and then the meaning making that it becomes necessary to make a new home. I guess my story is very much about the migration of my parents from Palestine. So my um, parents were Palestinian citizens of the state of Israel. So they were very much second class citizens. And I guess the economic imperative for them to move was that um, my father couldn't study engineering um, in the state of Israel at that time, so was really compelled to look elsewhere to be able to fulfil his dreams, um, which is how he found himself on Darug land here in um, Western Sydney. The story that I wrote, the song that fills the valley, is about that not necessarily about that journey, but how we maintained that connection to the place that we we left. Like we didn't leave as refugees, but there was there was a sense of being we can't live our full lives here. So um, my parents came here and created a great life for myself and my siblings. Um, but then in that movement that you say, there's that. Um, and it's not like a conscious action. There's a, you know, it's a physical compulsion to maintain a connection to a land so far away. Um, and we did that through kayak making, which is what the story is about. You know, kayak are these little semolina cakes filled with dates. Um, and we make them every year, all Palestinians make them every year wherever they're found on the globe and also regardless of religion. So they're made at Easter time, Muslims make them at Eid, Jews make them at Purim Um, and, you know, that kind of forced migration compels people to maintain these traditions, to maintain their connection to land and home. If I could just tag on to um, Katie's answer there, Um, I think Katie's story is particularly powerful because even though it does have these themes of migration and dispossession and displacement, um, on the surface, the story really is about love and, you know, the home and, um, 
just just the, the positive aspects of spending time in a safe place with people that you love. Um, I recently read a, a UK study by Melanie Rundishon Bold who revealed that authors of colour are assumed or expected by publishers to talk about issues that relate to race or conform to particular stereotypes or narratives. Um, and this racialized understanding of how literature is produced um, really gets in the way of the humanization, the humanizing force that literature can have. Um, so um, in this time, uh, what's happening in Gaza, I suggest reading, you know, um, Palestinian writers just to, and, and the way they talk about, you know, resistance and the um, voicing their struggles and, and these, these very big, geopolitical things this is all very important but also i suggest readers keep space for palestinian writers in their humanity and let them talk about you know things that are funny and things that are loving and things that are that make them whole and humanize them in that way as well yeah i'm recalled actually adam now that you bring that up i'm recalled to something that i i, I read but like so many things that you read you know i can't latch on to at the moment but the idea was basically that for um particularly writers or who have a marginalised identity, it can actually be quite difficult to find spaces for work if the work is not fitting, uh, I guess, a sense of what you should be writing about or what, what the dominant culture believes your identity is about. So, you know... Um, your 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 identity needs to code alongside the way people see you, and yeah, being able to write something humorous if you're you're not seen as you know funny or um, I'm rambling, but um, I, I I sort of wanted to make the point that sometimes it also can be limiting of of how we find work, and that it can be difficult to find those works, um, which is again we come back to the collection of Povo where we have the opportunity to experience so many different writers writing about so many different things. It's, I'd probably actually, um, I should have said this at the beginning, but let the reader know that the sense that this book has perhaps a unifying theme does no, by no means homogenize the works inside it. And it's extraordinary the, the breadth and the depth of the stories and the poetry that we come across. I think, yeah, I think that's the really special thing about Sweatshop is that it does create that space for First Nations writers and writers of colour to bring their own stories however they want to manifest them. So in an entirely talked about Daniel's really hilarious story about buying the car. You know, it's, it's just such a special space, the sweatshop workshops, because you there's no... It's a space where there's only other third world looking people and you can be whoever you want to be and tell the stories that whatever you want to tell. Um, and I think that's, you know, there's a real ease and feeling of liberation that comes in that space that has, that enables the stories that feature in Povo. No, I was just going to say that what, um, Another thing that Sweatshop helped me with, um, because I was raised between um, Darigland and um, Uruguay in El Cerro, um, and for me, language is, is so complex for me because I speak both languages, but my actual native language now is Spanglish, and um, 
sweatshop has always encouraged me to write in both my in coach switching and um, which is something that I wasn't um, allowing myself to do before sweatshop because I just thought who's going to publish something that has uh, um, infused with so much Spanish in it. Um, and they, uh, they opened that door for me and like they have with all the writers because every single writer puts a little bit um, of language in their pieces, which is um, something that I appreciate a lot. Mm. Thank, thank you for opening that door, Natalia, because that is something I think I had on my mind as I read, but perhaps I, I couldn't find the right way to ask that question. So somehow I've, I've decided I, I have the words now and I'm going to turn to Adam. As the editor of the collection, how was your role in, you know, sort of taking all of these texts, bringing them together and honouring um, the different ways that people were expressing themselves through use of language? Especially, I'm assuming, because you are not fluent in all of the languages that are represented in the text. <laughs> I wish I was. Um, well, the way to answer that really is I need to describe what Western Sydney is like, because Sweatshop is a Western Sydney-based writers' collective. Um, and to for a literature to represent a community, it needs to present an elevated and truthful representation of that society. Um, so Western Sydney is a multilingual is a multilingual society. It's cosmopolitan, um, but at the same time, it's uniquely local. Um, we have 103 household languages um, as of the 2021 census. Um, we have the highest diversity, and we're also um, very popular is Arabic, which is Australia's number two language. Um, and so. The people in Western Sydney, um, we have deep ongoing social, cultural and economic ties all across the world. Um, and our literature and all our arts really need to be representative of that. Um, so Sweatshop has sort of had to develop its own way of including all these writers, um, different languages in an English language format. And we have all these various techniques on how we do that. Um, but also having room for the unique and shared way that we speak English. Um, Western Sydney has 1.9 million citizens. It's one of, it's a big part of this country. And so for Australia's literacy community, Australia's literary community, um, it must include and support these voices from Western Sydney and other culturally and linguistically diverse communities. It's come up a couple of times um, through both, uh, I think both Katie and Natalia, you've both mentioned Daniel Newell's uh, piece, How to Buy a Car. Um, so I want to talk about cars. And this is also an excuse to talk about your poem, Natalia, Driving Me Loca. Um, but also, I couldn't help but notice how many stories feature cars. And I really wondered, and this could be a personal response rather than the collection, but how... How do cars figure in that sort of idea of conveying identity or providing, I guess, sometimes also this this transport, a way to explore and enter new spaces? For me in particular, um, the reason why I, I had to make this poem within a car um, um, is because um, during, during my parents' divorce, cars were so um, imminent in my life um, 
we, um, as one of the poem, one of the poems in the collection says, um, we did go through a period where there was a white car that was following us, which was quite scary. Um, also, we were uh, couch surfing, so going with my mum in a car from place to place, um, playing my father, um, and then also once things. Uh, decelerated and uh, became back to, back to a, a new normal. Um, we, I started going on road trips with my father and, and reconnecting and, um, and, you know, healing from that trauma with my father. Um, so, yeah, so that's why I had the, the car was like the first thing that came to mind when I thought of poverty because it was the, it was the, the one of the hardest uh, periods of our life was during that divorce in my family. This is my, my family's experience. Yeah. It's fascinating to me across the collection, how cars can seem to represent so many different things in, in, in parts of the collection, they are an, like a, an ostensible sign of wealth uh, or a way of projecting wealth. But for all, they also have that sense of, of say of space. It can be a safe space. Um, cars can be a home Cars can can be a means of uh, transport, and I don't just mean that in the sense that you're driving from A to B, um, sometimes A to B, and I, I, I might be misremembering this story. I, I think this, this, this part of the story may have actually involved a train trip, but taking you from a space um, where you may not be feeling as comfortable to a space that is is perhaps a little paradise for a moment, um, giving you that giving you that sort of look into another part, um, which I just I I can understand that experience for myself, um, and it's just it's fascinating. It was fascinating to me to find it throughout the collection. Um, just on the topic of cars, I recently um, had a conversation um, that there was some studies done that different countries can be divided into um, drivers that like to honk their horns and drivers that don't like to honk their horns. Um, if you come to Western Sydney, the drivers are, they're very brave. They're very risky at times, um, but they love honking their horns, whether it's to go through a you know very late orange light or to say hello to your bro at the kebab shop as you drive by. Um, but Australia actually is a non-honking country. Um, I'm from the I'm from the country myself. We're very polite drivers. We're very safe drivers and we're very patient drivers. Um, so I as I had that perspective of seeing this difference between um, metropolitan and um, country driving, um, and it really just goes to show that no matter what the topic is. Um, people from certain identities are going to approach it in a culturally specific way. And Povo is is really just a demonstration of how different communities ap- approach poverty in a culturally specific way as well. Adam, I think we need a Povo too because I didn't write a car story. I want to write a car story about our <laughs> old Kingswood. Oh, my goodness. So, and, and just as soon as you say that old Kingswood, I feel like that can be so evocative of people. And there's there's genuine affection in your voice there, Katie. Like even I, I think my favourite cars that I have owned have been old, have been, let's say fraught. Is I think fraught is a nicer word than falling apart. Um, <laughs> but when because we experience things in them and they become uh, indelible in those memories. So, 
There's a Adam. There's a freebie. Can we have a, a sweatshop car collection, please? Yes. I'm sponsored by Toyota. <laughs> what? <laughs> Don't limit yourself. I feel a bidding war. <laughs> I, I foreshadowed. I foreshadowed for all of you. Uh, a question that I was going to try and wrap up with, but I actually think we've really covered a lot of the ideas around that juxtaposition of of the poverty of, I guess, dollar-dollar bills versus a wealth of connection and culture. So I'm not going to ask that question now. I, I feel like we might be retreading some ground. Instead, I want to I confess, um, as I was preparing, I almost derailed my interview prep because uh, I ended up taking a bit of a deep dive on the etymology of povo. And we've touched on how it's, you know, it's a contraction. It's in that great way we, we grab the first syllable, we add O or Y, and I have a whole lot of theories about what adding O or Y does to a word. But I did also find that coming through, coming from Latin through Portuguese, povo has the meaning of, of the people or the population or the nation. And I, I have no idea whether that that meaning has any influence on the way povo is used in the vernacular. But I really, like, I was struck by this paralleling of the idea of people and poverty, especially, like, right now we're in the middle of, I guess, rampant neoliberalism and this cost of living crisis thing. Would anyone like to just comment or just take that little bit of head explosion from me or am I just drawing too long a bow? (laughs) No, because when I heard the title as a bilingual mind um and also my my relatives uh, my ancestors come from the borders of brazil and uruguay um the first thing that came to mind though was like oh the people i'm like oh what a great title oh what and then i was like oh no it's not that it's it's about poverty so you you're basically your mind just went through what i went through (laughs) when i first read it i think you're (laughs) right though like we live in a world where if you say the one percent people know what you're talking about wealth is so concentrated um there is a sense of of, i guess paralleling povo being the people and being the the people who are not the one percent and it's it was just extraordinary to me that i think there could be people who could pick up this collection and and perhaps not want to identify with it but there is so much to identify with here even if specific stories do not speak to your individual experience they can speak to a wider experience that i think so many of us understand unless we are the one percent well done if you're the one percent and you're listening to final draft there's a few organizations i think you could support (laughs) (laughs) but you're so right um uh hobo is an umbrella like it's so broad like um it's like they've got like this stereotype where being poor is it just means um this stereotype is being hungry and um you know uh, hand-me-downs and 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 it's not just that um it's very broad it's uh for me um just being working class you're Mm -hmm. already within um the poverty category like um and you've always got as a working class family you've got meals on your table yes there are struggles but it's not the stereotype um so yeah it's it's funny how you said that but um some people don't want to be part of that category but the majority are yeah we are by turning it into (laughs) a slur it also robs 
Mm. I guess it robs people of that opportunity to find solidarity around this identity um, that somehow yeah. like I, I see I see so much more you know uh, things to admire and you know in in someone who who says I can make this work rather than someone who's never had to think about it because they just simply have the money to make those problems go away um, mm. but yeah Natalia and I have gone on a complete tangent but Adam and I Katie, really love that I didn't know that that not being. Same here. I'm gonna I'm gonna claim I did it on purpose, and that I'm a multilingual genius. <laughs> um, and to, to wrap these two together, um, yeah. I recently got a text from my dad saying that um, he saw a Bentley with the number plate Povo. <laughs> so I think this this is a great representation of what we're talking about. How um, this this marginalization can, if we you reclaim it and you own it, it can really be a source of pride for people. Um, and, and like you say, there's, there's, it's hard to get solidarity around this thing because it affects us all and it's very sensitive to us all. Um, but by, by writing stories and literature that, that really confront this, this class difference, um, from a place of love and a place of empowerment, um, maybe we can get some, um, some, some class solidarity and some, you know, a more kind and just world through art. You are tuned in to Final Draft on 2SCR 107.3. I am joined by an incredible panel of writers from Sweatshop Western Sydney Literacy Movement. We are discussing the new anthology. It is called Povo. I'm going to reintroduce everyone. Editor Adam Navaldi-Anderson and two of the contributors to the collection, Natalia Figueroa Barroso and Katie Shamas. Natalia, Katie, Adam, it has been such a pleasure. I I feel like we could probably pick each other's brains on this collection for a lot longer, but this is perhaps the best invitation to the listeners. Where can they find the collection? Thanks for having us, Andrew. It's been such a joy for me to produce these stories and to finally get to share them with the world. I urge everyone to jump onto the Sweatshop website. That's sweatshop.ws and pick up Povo for yourselves. Um, It's very accessible in terms of price. Um, only nineteen ninety five, and and all that, all those proceeds go back to sweatshop and producing stories by First Nations and culturally and linguistically diverse artists. And also follow us on Instagram sweatshop.ws and Twitter and Facebook sweatshop.ws. Thanks to each of you. Thank you, Natalia. Thank you, Katie, and thank you, Adam. Thank you. Thanks, thank you. Andrew. Thanks. Thank you for joining me. This is Andrew. You are on Final Draft. Thank you also to Adam, Natalia and Katie for joining me today. My antho- the, the panel for the anthology Povo from Sweatshop Western Sydney Literary Movement. Go and check out a copy. Go and check out Sweatshop WS um, online and find all their incredible publications. Final Draft is recorded on the lands of the Darug and the Gunungurra people. The show is produced and presented out of 2SER, which is on the lands of the Gadigal people. Stay in touch. You're going to find Final Draft all around the place. You'll find us on the socials. Just look for at Final Draft 2SER or drop us an email. Final Draft at 2SER.com. My name is Andrew Popel. It is my great pleasure to do this every week. It is my great pleasure to connect with you all through the books that we love. So I'm going to be back. I'm going to go do some reading, but I'm going to be back very, very soon. Till then, happy reading and bye for now.